0: Welcome to Rough Magic Performance Company's podcast, where women's stories take center stage, Season 3, The Rachel Project. The Rachel Project is made possible in part by our donors and by the generosity of Inclusion in Action, an organization dedicated to creating space for people to explore what it takes to advance equity together in our workplaces, neighborhoods, and communities leveraging the powers of personal story, the arts, media, movement, and humor to engage individuals in head and heart connections that promote deeper understanding of self and others. The Rachel Project is also made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. The Rachel Project is an adaptation of the play Rachel by Harlem Renaissance writer Angela Grimke. The play was originally produced by the NAACP in 1916 in an attempt to build empathy for the experience of Black Americans. The themes present in this piece are directly relatable to our current challenges as Americans dealing with our complicated and still not fully realized past. Listeners should be aware that this production includes descriptions of racism, racially motivated violence, and the use of the n-word. We hope that by bringing this important and beautifully written piece of American literary history into a modern theatrical medium. Today's listeners will resonate with feelings of empathy for the black experience, driving social change to end racism and racially motivated violence in America.
1: Act Two. It is the same day, October 16th, four years later. It is the same room and presently, Rachel enters with dishes and silver in her hands. She is clad in a bungalow apron. She's noticeably four years older. Jimmy's voice is heard from the rooms within. Ma Rachel? What is it, Jimmy Boy? Jimmy appears in the rear doorway, half dressed, breathless, and tremendously excited over something. Three guesses! Three guesses, Ma Rachel!
2: Well, let's see. Maybe there is a circus in town? Nasari. No, you're not right. You're not right. Well, maybe my loving's going to take you somewhere. No, it's... it's... You said I could have three guesses, honey. I've only had two.
1: I thought you had three. How many are three? Rachel shows Jimmy how to count using her fingers. One, two, three.
2: I've only had one, two. See? Perhaps Uncle Tom was going to give you some candy.
3: No, no, no. I leaned over the bathtub way over and got hold of the chain with the button on the end and dropped it in the little round place in the bottom. And then I run lots and lots of water in the tub and climbed over and fell in splash just like a big stone, <laughs> and took a bath all by m- myself alone.
2: <laughs> all by yourself, honey? You ran the water too, ran boy, not runned it. What I want to know is, where was Ma loving all this time? I
3: stole in, creepy queep, and looked at my loving, and she was awful fast asleep. Ma Rachel... I'm an awful big boy
2: now, aren't I? I are almost a man, aren't I? Oh, boy, I'm getting tired of correcting you. I am almost a man, am I not? Jimmy boy, what will Ma Rachel do if you grow up? Why, well, I won't have a little boy anymore. Honey, you mustn't grow up, do you hear? You mustn't.
3: Oh, yes, I must. And you'll have me just the same, Ma Rachel. I'm gonna be a policeman. And make lots of money for you and my loving and Uncle Tom. And I'm going to buy you some trains and fire engines and some rabbits and some great enormous bank full of money. Lots of it. And then we are going to live in a great big castle and eat lots of ice cream all the time and drink lots and lots of nice Pink lemonade.
2: What a generous Jimmy boy! Mm. Before I give you morning kiss, I must see how clean my boy is.
1: Rachel inspects Jimmy's teeth, ears, and neck.
2: (laughs) Jimmy, you're sweet and clean enough to eat. Honey, get my file off my burrow and go to Ma. Loving, she must be awake by this time. Why, honey, what's the matter with your feet? I
3: don't know. I think they look kind of queer myself. What's the matter with them?
2: (laughs) You have your shoes on the wrong feet.
3: (laughs) Isn't that most enormously funny? I'm a case, aren't you not? I mean, am I not,
2: Ma Rachel? Yes, honey, a great big case of molasses. Come, you must hurry now and get
1: dressed. You don't want to be late for school, you know. Mrs. Loving, bent and worn-looking, appears in the doorway. She limps a trifle. Good morning, dearie. How's my little girl this morning? Why, where's Tom?
4: I was certain I heard him running water in the tub some time ago. Tom isn't up yet. Have you seen Jimmy? Jimmy? No. I didn't know he was awake even. Well,
2: what do you think of that? I sent the young gentleman to you a few minutes ago. He is very much grown up this morning, so I suppose that explains why he didn't come to you. Yesterday, all day, you know he was a puppy. No one knows what he will be by tomorrow. All of this, my dear, is preliminary to telling you that Jimmy Boy has stolen a march on you this morning.
4: Stolen a march? How?
2: It appears that he took his bath all by himself, and as a result, he is
4: so conceited peacocks aren't in it with him. I heard the running water and thought, of course, it was Tom. Why, that little rascal. I must go and see how he left things. I was just about to wake him up. Rheumatism's not much better this morning, my dear. Tell me
2: the truth now. Did you or did you not try that liniment I bought you yesterday?
4: Well, Rachel, I was, I was so tired last night. I forgot it. I thought as much. Shame on you. Oh, as soon as I walk around a bit, it'll be all right. It always is. It's bad when I first get up, that's all. I'll be spry enough in a few minutes. (sighs) Rachel, I don't know why the thought should strike me, but how very strangely things turn out. If anyone would have told me four years ago that Jimmy would be living with us, I, I would have laughed at him. Then it hurt to see him. Now it would hurt not to. Rachel, sometimes I wonder if perhaps God hasn't relented a little. Given me back my boy, my George. The whole thing was strange, wasn't it? Yes, God's ways are strange and often very beautiful. Perhaps all would be beautiful if we only understood. God's ways are
2: certainly very mysterious. Why, of all the people in this apartment house, should Jimmy's father and mother be the only two to take to the smallpox and the only two to
4: die? It's queer. It doesn't seem like two years ago, does it? <laughs> By the way, how does Tom strike you these
2: days? The same old bantering, cheerful Tom. Why?
4: Did you see him? He came in last night.
2: Yes. Had he had any luck finding work? No. Ma dear, we may as well face it.
4: It's hopeless, I'm afraid. I'm afraid you are right. Well, I'll go and see how Jimmy has left things and wake up Tom if he isn't awake yet. It's the waking up in the mornings that's hard.
1: Mrs. Loving goes to look for Jimmy. Rachel frowns as she prepares for breakfast, as Tom enters. Rachel's expression is very grim, indeed. Good
5: morning, Mary Sunshine. Have you perhaps been taking a uh, prolonged drought of a very delightful beverage,
1: vinegar? Rachel, with a knife in her hand, looks up, unsmiling. I take it all back, I'm sure. May I request that you...
5: That you... That you, er, in some way rid yourself of that, er, knife.
1: Tom bows to Rachel as she puts it down.
5: I thank you. Now, what's the matter with my little sis?
1: Tommy, dear, don't mind
2: me. I'm getting wicked, I guess. At present, I feel just like... Like curdled milk once upon a time i used to have quite a nice disposition didn't i tommy
5: did you indeed i'm not going to flatter you but brace yourself old lady ready one two three go you're a pretty decent little sister sis that's what t loving thinks about it and he knows a thing or two
1: has the paper come yet Tom retrieves the paper and lounges carelessly in the armchair, then looks at Rachel. May
5: tea Loving be of any service to you.
1: Service? How? Tom addresses Rachel without looking up from his paper. May
5: he run, say, any errands, set the table, cook
1: the breakfast, anything? Rachel watches the lazy figure.
2: You look like working.
1: It's at least polite to offer.
2: You can't do anything. I don't trust you to do it right. You may just sit there and read your paper and try to
1: behave yourself. Thank you, ma'am. Tom opens the paper. Jimmy presently enters riding around the table on a cane. Rachel peeps in from the kitchenette and smiles. Tom puts down his paper.
5: Hello, big fellow. What's this? Good morning. Bless my stars. Who's this? Well, if it isn't Mr. Mason. How do you do, Mr. Mason? That's a beautiful horse you have there. He limps a trifle in his left hind front foot, though. He does it. He does.
1: He does it. I say he does. Mrs. Loving appears in the doorway.
4: For heaven's sake, what is this? Good morning, Tommy.
1: Tom rises and goes to his mother, Jimmy following astride of the cane in his rear. Good morning, Ma. Suddenly, Tom leans over and swings Jimmy high in the air. Come. Get down, young man. Don't
5: you know you'll wear my arms out? Besides, there is something in my lower vest pocket that's just dying to come out to you. Get down, I say.
1: (laughs) How can I get down?
5: How should I know? Just get down, of course.
1: Very suddenly, Tom puts Jimmy down on his feet. Jimmy tries to climb up over him.
3: Please sit down, Uncle Tom. Sit down? What for? Why, you said there was something for me
1: in your pocket. So I did. How forgetful I am. Tom reaches into his pocket and hands Jimmy a bright, shiny penny.
4: Oh, oh, oh! Come, come, children. Rachel has the breakfast on the table.
1: Oh, well then. Tom and Jimmy take their place at the table. Oh, goody, goody, goody. We got sausages. Rachel ties a big napkin around Jimmy's neck and prepares his breakfast.
5: Uncle Tom? Sir?
3: I took a bath this morning all by myself alone in the bathtub. And I ran. No, I runned, I think, the water all in it and got in it all by myself and my loving thought it was
5: you but it was me you see here young man this won't do don't you know i'm the only one who's allowed to do that here it's a perfect waste of water that's what it is oh no
3: you're not the only one because my loving and my rachel and me all takes
1: baths every single morning so there just as jimmy opens his mouth to ask another question
5: Young gentleman, your mouth is open. Close it, sir. Close it.
1: Tom, you are as big a child exactly as Jimmy.
5: You compliment me. I thank you, I am sure.
1: The family enjoys each other over breakfast. It is delicious. And after a time...
4: I'm through, Ma Rachel. Jimmy, you're a big boy now, aren't you? I wonder if you're big enough to wash your own hands this morning. Yes, ma'am. Well, if they're beautifully clean, I'll give you another penny. Please untie my neck and my Rachel.
2: Excuse me, please.
1: Jimmy climbs down and rushes out at the rear doorway.
4: Rachel, do you know what day this is? Yes, my dear. Tom?
5: Yes, ma?
4: We must never, as long as we live, forget this day. No, my dear.
5: No, ma. I hear people talk about God's justice, and I wonder, where are you, ma? There isn't a sacrifice that you haven't made. You're still working your fingers to the bone, sewing, just so all of us can keep on living. Rachel is a graduate in domestic science. She was high in her class. Most of the girls below her in rank have positions in the schools. I'm an electrical engineer, and I've tried steadily for several months to practice my profession. It seems our educations aren't much of use to us. We aren't allowed to make good because our skins are dark. And in the South today, there are white men. They have everything. They're well-dressed, well-fed, well-housed. They're prosperous in business. They're important politically. They're pillars in the church. I know all this is true. I've inquired. Their children are growing up around them, and they are having a square deal handed out to them. College, position, Wealth, and best of all, freedom, without galling restrictions to work out their own salvations. With ability, they may become anything. And all this will be true of their children's children after them. Look at us, and look at them. We are destined to failure, they to success. Their children shall grow up in hope, ours in despair. Our hands are clean, theirs are red with blood. Red with the blood of a nobleman and a boy. They're nothing but low, cowardly, bestial murderers. The scum of the earth shall succeed. God's justice, I suppose.
1: Mrs. Loving rises and goes over to Tom. Tom, promise me one thing.
5: What is it, ma?
4: That you'll try not to lose faith in God. I've been where you've been now, and it's black, Tom. We don't understand God's ways. My son, I know now. He is beautiful. Tom, won't you try to believe again?
5: I'll try, Ma.
4: Each one, I suppose, had to work on his own salvation. Rachel, if you'll get Jimmy ready, I'll take him to school. I've got to go downtown shopping for a customer this morning.
1: Rachel rises and goes out the rear doorway. Mrs. Loving, limping very slightly now, follows. She turns and looks back, yearningly at Tom, who has seated himself again and is staring unseeingly at his plate. Mrs. Loving returns with Jimmy's hand in hers. I'll be back by one o'clock
4: anyway. Goodbye.
1: Mrs. Loving and Jimmy leave, and presently Rachel enters humming. Tom relights his cigarette, and Rachel proceeds to clear the table. In the midst of this, the doorbell rings.
5: John! John. I wonder what's up. It's rather early for him. I'll let him
1: up. Tom and John Strong enter as Rachel busies herself with cleaning up after breakfast.
2: Well, stranger, how does it happen that you're out so early in the morning?
3: I haven't seen any of you for a week. And I thought I'd come by on my way to work and find out how things are going. There's no need to ask how you are, Rachel. And your mother? And Jimmy?
2: My dear's rheumatism still holds on. Jimmy's fine.
3: I'm sorry to hear that your mother is not well. There isn't a remedy that my mother doesn't know about. I'll get her advice and let you know. Well, Tom, how goes
5: it? There's plenty of go, but no get there. I was hoping for better news. If I remember rightly, not so many years ago, you tried and failed. Then a colored man had hardly a ghost of a show. Now he hasn't even a ghost of a ghost.
1: Rachel has finished and goes into the kitchenette.
5: That's true enough. What are you going to do? I'll do this little going act of mine the rest of the week. And then I'll do anything I can get to do. If necessary, I suppose I can be a white wing. Tom, I can't.
3: Six years ago... I found I was up against a stone wall. Your experience you see to the letter. I couldn't let my mother starve. So I became a waiter. I studied waiting. I made a science of it. An art. In a comparatively short time, I'm a head waiter. And I'm up against another stone wall. I've reached my limit. I'm 32 now. And I'll die head waiter. College friends, so-called acquaintances used to come into the restaurant. One or two at first attempted to commiserate with me. They didn't do it again. I waited upon them. I did my best. Many of them tipped me. I can remember my first tip still. They come in, yet many of them are already powers, not only in this city, but in the country. Some of them make a personal request that I wait upon them. I am an artist now. In my proper sphere, they tip me well. Extremely well. The larger the tip, the more pleased they are with me. Because of me, in their own eyes, they're philanthropists. Amusing, isn't it? I can stand their attitude now. My philosophy, learned hard, is to make the best of everything you can and go on. At best, life isn't so very long. You're wondering why I'm telling you all this. I wish you to see things exactly as they are. There are many disadvantages and some advantages in being a waiter. My mother can live comfortably and I am able even to see that she gets some of the luxuries. Tom, it's this way. I can always get you a job as a waiter. I'll teach you the art if you care to begin the end of the week. All right. And remember this, as long as I keep my job. This offer holds good.
5: I, I thank you. I guess it's safe enough to say you'll see me at the end of the week. John, you're-
1: He is interrupted by the sound of much vigorous rapping on the outer door of the flat. Rachel appears and crosses over to the vestibule.
2: Hear the racket? My kitty's gently begging for attention. It's about 20 minutes of nine, isn't it? I thought so.
1: Rachel goes to the door of the flat and opens it. In the hallway is a cluster of little girls vying for Rachel's attention. They are excited and have many things to tell her. Rachel interrupts the commotion.
2: All right, my little chickies, you'll have
1: to clear out now. All of you. Now, or you'll be late for school. Shoo! Shoo! She drives them out prettily before her. They laugh merrily. They all go into the vestibule. Does it ever
5: strike you how pathetic and tragic a thing a little colored child is? Yes. Today, we colored men and women everywhere are up against it. Every year, we are having a harder time of it. In the South, they make it as impossible as they can for us to get an education. We're hammered in on all sides. Our one safeguard, the ballot, in most states is taken away already or is being taken away Economically, in a few lines, we have a slight show. But at what cost? In the North, they make a pretense of liberality. They give us the ballot and good education and then snuff us out. Each year, the problem just to live gets more difficult to solve. How about these children, if we're fools enough to have any?
1: Rachel re-enters. Her face is drawn and pale. She turns to the kitchenette. That part... Is damnable. Tom suddenly looks at the clock. It's later than I thought. I'll have to be pulling out of here now, if you don't mind. Rachel? Rachel, still drawn and pale, appears in the doorway of the kitchenette. She is without her apron.
5: I've got to go now, sis. I leave John in your hands. I've got to go myself in a few minutes. Nonsense, man. Sit still. I'll begin to think in a minute you're afraid of the ladies. I am. What, and not ashamed to acknowledge it? No. You're lots wiser than I dreamed. So long. Morturi salutimus.
1: After Tom leaves, Rachel and John sit for a moment in an uncomfortable silence. John? Well? I... I listened.
3: Listened? To what?
1: To you
2: and Tom.
3: Well, what of it?
2: I didn't think it was quite fair not to tell you. It seemed, well, like eavesdropping.
3: Don't worry about it. Nonsense.
2: I'm glad. I want to thank you for what you did for Tom. He needs you. And will need you. You'll help him?
3: Rachel, each one has his own little battles. I'll do what I can. After all, an outsider doesn't help much.
2: But friendship, just friendship helps.
3: Yes. Rachel, do you hear anything encouraging from the schools? Any hope for you yet?
2: No, nor ever will be. I know that now. There's no more chance for me than there is for Tom. Or than there was for you. Or for any of us with dark skins. It's lucky for me that I love to keep house and cook and sew. I'll never get anything else. My dear sewing, the little work Tom has been able to get, and the little sewing I sometimes get to do. Keep us from the poor house. We live according to your philosophy, I suppose, make the best of it, it might be worse.
3: You don't want to get morbid over these things, you know?
2: That's it. If you see things as they are, you're either pessimistic or morbid.
3: In the long run, do you believe that attitude of mine will be beneficial to you? I'm ten years older than you. I tried your way, I know. Mine is the only sane one.
1: He goes over to her slowly. He deliberately puts his hands on her hair and tips her head back. He looks down into her face quietly, without saying anything. What, John? Don't! He pays no attention, but continues to look down into her face.
3: Perhaps if you had a little more fun in your life, your point of view would be more normal. I'll arrange it so I can take you to some theater one night this week.
2: You talk as though I were a a jellyfish. You'll take me? How do you know I'll go? You will. (laughs) Indeed. I wonder if you know how, how maddening you are. Why, you talk as though my will counts for nothing. It's as if you're trying to master me. I think a domineering man is detestable.
3: If he's perhaps the man?
2: Besides, some of these theaters put you off by yourself as though you had leprosy. I'm
1: not going.
3: You know, I want to ask you to go under those circumstances. Well, I must be going now.
1: John takes her hand and looks at it reverently. Rachel at first resists, but he refuses to let go. When she finds it useless, she ceases to resist. He turns his head and smiles down into her face.
3: Rachel, I am coming back to see you this evening.
1: I'm sure we'll all be very glad to see you.
3: I said you.
1: Very deliberately. He turns her hand, palm upwards, leans over and kisses it. Then he puts it back into her lap. He touches her cheek lightly.
3: Goodbye, little Rachel.
1: John turns in the vestibule door and looks back, smiling.
3: Until tonight.
1: After John leaves, Rachel sits for some time without moving. She is lost in a beautiful daydream. Presently, she sighs happily and after looking furtively around the room, lifts the palm John has kissed to her lips. She laughs shyly and jumping up begins to hum. She opens the window at the rear of the room and then commences to thread the sewing machine. She hums happily the whole time. Then there is a light rapping at the outer door. Rachel listens. It stops and begins again. There is something insistent and yet hopeless in the sound. Rachel, looking puzzled, goes out into the vestibule. The door closes. Rachel re-enters with a black woman, Mrs. Lane, poorly dressed, and her daughter, Ethel. There is the stoniness of despair in the woman's face. The child is thin, nervous, suspicious, and frightened. Right this way. May I sit down? I'm tired. Rachel, still puzzled but gracious, draws up a chair for her.
4: Why, certainly. No, you don't know me. Never even heard of me, nor have you. I was looking at the vacant flat on this floor and saw your name on the door. Lovin'. It's a strange name to come across in this world. I thought perhaps you might give me some information.
2: I'll be glad to tell you anything that I am able, Mrs...
4: Lane, what I want to know is how do they treat the colored children in the school? I noticed around the corner.
2: Very well, I'm sure.
4: What reason have you for being sure?
2: Why, the little boy I've adopted goes there, and he's very happy. All the children in this apartment house go there, too. And I know they're
4: happy. But do you know how many colored children there are in the school? Why, I should guess around 30. I see. What color is the little adopted boy of yours? Why, he's brown. Any black children there? Why, yes.
1: Do you mind if I send Bethel over by the piano to sit?
4: No, no, no,
2: certainly not.
1: Rachel places a chair by the piano and goes to the little girl holding out her hand. She smiles beautifully. Ethel gets farther behind her mother.
4: She won't go to you. She's afraid of everybody now but her father and me.
1: Come, Ethel. Mrs. Lane takes the little girl by the hand and leads her to the chair. Sit down, Ethel. Ethel obeys. When her mother starts back again toward Rachel, she holds out her hands pitifully. She makes no sound.
4: I'm not going to leave you, Ethel. I'll be right over here. You can see me.
1: There is a look of agony on the child's face as her mother leaves her. It makes Rachel shudder.
4: Do you mind if we sit over here by the sewing machine? Thank you. I've got to move. It's Ethel.
2: What is the matter with that child? It's, it's heartbreaking to see
4: her. I understand how you feel. I don't feel anything myself anymore. My husband and I are poor... We live on 55th Street near the railroad. It's a poor neighborhood, but the rent's cheap. We had a nice little home, and the three of us was happy. Now we got to move. Move? Why? It's Ethel. I put her in school in September, and she stayed two weeks. That's the result. You mean that just two weeks in school did that? Yes. Ethel never had a sick day in her life before. I took her to the doctor at the end of the two weeks, and he says she's a nervous wreck. But what could they have done to her? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I'll tell you what they did the first day. Ethel is naturally sensitive. She's not assertive. The teacher saw that, and after I had left, told her to sit in the seat in the rear of the class. She was alone there in a corner. The children, immediately feeling there's something wrong with Ethel because of the teacher's attitude, turned and stared at her. And when the teacher's back was turned, they whispered about her, pointed their fingers at her, and tittered. The teacher then proceeded to give a lesson about kindness to animals. Funny, isn't it? Kindness to animals. The children forgot Ethel in the excitement of talking about their pets. Presently, the teacher turned to Ethel and said disagreeably, Have you a pet? Ethel said, Yes, in a low voice. Come, speak up, you sulky child. What is it? And Ethel said, A blind puppy. And they all laughed, the teacher and all. Strange, isn't it? But Ethel loves that puppy. She spoke up. It's mean to laugh at a little blind puppy. I'm glad he's blind. This remark brought forth more laughter. Why are you glad, the teacher asked curiously, and Ethel refused to say. Later, when I asked her why she said that, do you know what she told me? She said if he saw me, he might not love me anymore. Did I tell you that Ethel is only seven years old?
2: Oh, I didn't believe anyone could be as cruel as
4: that to a little child. It isn't very pleasant, is it? When the teacher found out that Ethel wouldn't answer, she said severely, take your seat. At recess, all the children went out. Ethel could hear them playing and laughing and shrieking, and even the teacher went too. She was made to sit there all alone in that big room because God had made her black. When the recess was half over, the teacher came back. You may go now, she said coldly. Ethel didn't stir. Did you hear me, the teacher said? Yes, i Well, why don't you obey? I don't want to go out, please. You don't, do you, you stubborn child? Go immediately, Ethel went. She stood by the school steps. No one spoke to her. The children near her moved away in every direction. They stopped playing, many of them, and watched her. They stared as only children can stare. Some began whispering about her. Presently, one child came up and ran his hand roughly over Ethel's face. She looked at her hand in Ethel's face and ran, screaming back to the others. It won't come off, see? Other children followed the first child's example, and then one boy spoke up loudly. I know what she is. She's a nigger. Many took up the cry. God or the devil interfered because the bell rang. The children filed in. One boy boldly called her nigger before the teacher, and she said, That isn't nice, but she smiled at the boy. Things went on about the same for the rest of the day. At the end of school, Ethel put on her hat and coat. The teacher made her hang them at a distance from the other pupils' things and started for home. Quite a crowd escorted her. They called a nigger all the way. I made Ethel go the next day. I complained to the authorities. They treated me lightly. I was determined not to let them force my child out of school. At the end of two weeks, I had to take her out.
2: Why, I never... In all my life, heard anything so pitiful. Did you ever go to school here? Yes. I was made to feel my color, but I never had an experience like that.
4: How many years ago were you in the graded schools? Oh, around ten. Ten years. Every year, things are getting worse. Last year wasn't as bad as this. So they treat the children all right in this school? Yes. Yes. I know that. I can't afford to take this flat here, but I'll take it. I'm going to have Ethel educated. Although when you think of it, it's all rather useless, this education. What are our children going to do with it when they get it? We strive and save and sacrifice to educate them, and the whole time down underneath, we know they'll have no chance.
2: Yes, that's true, all right. God seems to have forgotten
4: us. God... It's all a lie about God, I know. This fall, I sent Ethel to a white Sunday school near us. She received the same treatment there she did in the day school. Her being there nearly broke up the school. At the end, the superintendent called her to him and asked her if she didn't know of some nice colored Sunday school. He told her she must feel out of place and uncomfortable there. That's your church of God.
2: Oh, How unspeakably brutal. Have you any other children?
4: Hardly. If I had another, I'd kill it.
1: Somehow it seems kinder. Mrs. Lane pauses, knowing her words are harsh, but can't take them back.
4: Well, I must go now. Thank you for your information and for listening. You aren't married, are you? No. Don't marry. That's
1: my advice. Come, Ethel. Ethel gets up in a hurried, timid way and runs to her mother and clutches her hand. Say goodbye to the lady. Goodbye. Rachel kneels beside Ethel, a beautiful smile on her face.
2: Dear little girl, won't you let me kiss you goodbye? I love little girls.
1: Ethel hides behind her mother.
2: Oh, no
4: child ever did that to me before. Perhaps when we move in here, the first of the month, things may be better. Thank you, again. Good morning. You don't belie your name.
1: Rachel sees them to the door. Rachel, as though dazed and stricken, returns. She sits in a chair, leans forward, and clasping her hand loosely between her knees, stares at the chair where Ethel Lane has sat. She does not move for some time. Then she gets up and goes to the window. She breathes in the air deeply and then goes to the sewing machine and begins to sew on something she is making. Presently, her feet slow down on the pedals. She stops. Rachel seems to be replaying the conversation with Mrs. Lane over in her head. After a short pause, she gets up and begins to pace up and down slowly, mechanically, her head bent forward. Then suddenly, The doorbell rings. Rachel goes to the speaking tube in the vestibule. Yes, all right, bring it up. Rachel returns with a long flower box. She opens it listlessly at the table. Within are six beautiful crimson rosebuds with long stems. Rachel looks at the name on the card. She sinks down slowly on her knees and leans her head against the table. Oh, John,
2: John, what are we to do? I'm, I'm afraid. Everywhere, it is the same thing. My mother, my little brother, little black crushed Ethel. Oh, God, you who I have been taught to believe are so good, so beautiful. How good?
1: You permit these things. Rachel raises her head and sees the rosebuds. Her face softens and grows beautiful.
2: Dear little rosebuds, you you make me think of sleeping curled-up happy babies. Dear beautiful little rosebuds, when I look at you, I believe God is beautiful. He who can make a little exquisite thing like this, and this can't be cruel. Oh, he can't mean for me to give up love and the
1: hope of little children. There is the sound of a small hand knocking at the outer door. She smiles.
2: My Jimmy. Oh, it must be 12 o'clock. I didn't dream it was so late. Oh, the world can't be so bad. I don't believe it. I, I won't. I must forget that little girl. My little Jimmy is happy And today, John sent me beautiful rosebuds. Oh, there are lovely things yet.
1: Rachel goes to the vestibule. A child's eager cry is heard, and Rachel re enters carrying Jimmy in her arms. He has both arms about her neck and is hugging her. With him in her arms, she sits down in the armchair.
2: Well, honey, how was school today?
1: All right, Ma Rachel. Oh. Look at the pretty
3: flowers. Why, my Rachel? You forgot to put them in water.
1: They'll die.
2: Well, so they will. Hop down this minute. I'll put them in right away.
1: Rachel gathers up the box of flowers and goes into the kitchenette. Jimmy climbs back into the chair. He looks thoughtful and serious. Rachel comes back with the buds in a tall glass vase and places it in the center of the table.
2: There, honey, that's better, isn't it? Aren't they lovely?
3: Yes? That's lots better. Now they won't die will they? Rose buds are just like little children. Aren't they, Ma Rachel? If you are good to them, they'll go up into lovely roses, won't they? And if you hurt them they'll die. Ma Rachel, do you think all peoples are kind
2: to little rosebuds? Why, of course. Who could hurt little children? Who would have the heart to do such a thing? If you hurt them, it would be lots
3: kinder, wouldn't it? To kill them all at once. And not a little bit and a little bit.
2: Why, honey boy, why are you talking like that?
1: My Rachel, what is a... a nigger? Rachel recoils as though she has been struck.
2: Honey boy, why... why do you ask that?
3: Some big boys called me that when I came out of school just now. They said, look at the little nigger. And they laughed. One of them ran after me and threw stones. And they all kept calling me that name. One stone struck me hard in the back and it hurt awful bad. But I didn't cry, my Rachel. I wouldn't let them make me cry. The stone hurts me there, my Rachel, but what they called me hurts and hurts here. Jimmy points to
1: his chest. What is a nigger, my Rachel? Rachel, controlling herself with a tremendous effort, at last she sweeps down upon him and hugs and kisses him.
2: My honey boy, those boys didn't mean anything. Silly little honey boy, they're rough, that's all. How could they mean anything?
3: You're only saying that, my Rachel, so I won't be hurt. I know.
1: Jimmy points again to his heart. It wouldn't ache here like it does if it didn't mean something. Where's your friend Mary, honey? She's
3: in her flat. She came in just after I did.
2: Well, honey, I'm going to give you two big cookies and two to take to Mary. And you may stay there and play with her till I get your lunch ready. Won't that be jolly?
3: What? You never give me but one at a time. You give me two?
1: One? Two? Rachel gets the cookies and brings them to him. Jimmy climbs down from the chair. Shoo!
2: Now, little honey boy, see how many laughs you can make for me before I come after you. Here? Have a good time now.
1: Jimmy starts for the door quickly, but he begins to slow down. His face gets long and serious again. Rachel watches him. Shoo! Shoo! Get out of here quickly, my little chicken. Rachel follows him to the door. When Rachel returns, she looks old and worn and gray.
2: First it's little Black Ethel, and then it's Jimmy. Tomorrow it will be some other little child. The blight, sooner or later, strikes all. Oh, my little Jimmy, only seven years old,
1: poisoned. Through the open window comes the laughter of little children at play. Rachel, shuddering, covers her ears. Oh,
2: and once I said, how can life be so terrible when there are little children in the world? Terrible. Terrible. That's the reason it is so terrible.
1: The laughter reaches her again. This time, she listens. <laughs>
2: and suddenly, someday from out of the black, the blight shall descend and shall still forever. The laughter on those little lips and in those little hearts and the loveliest thing Almost oh, that ever happened to me, that beautiful voice in my dream, those beautiful words, Rachel, you are to be the mother to little children, my God, you were making a mock of me, you were laughing at me, I didn't believe God could laugh at our sufferings, but He can. We are accursed, accursed, we have
1: nothing, absolutely, nothing. Rachel looks at the flowers from John. She goes over to them, puts her hand out as if to touch them, and then shakes her head very sweetly.
2: Oh, no, no, little rosebuds. I may not touch you. Dear little baby rosebuds, I am accursed. You God. You terrible, laughing God. Listen. I swear, and may my soul be damned to all eternity if I do break this oath, I swear that no child of mine shall ever lie upon my breast, for I will not have it rise up in the terrible days that are to be and call me cursed, never to know the loveliest thing in all the world, the feel of a little head, the touch of little hands, the beautiful utter dependence of a little child. You can laugh? Oh, God! Well, so can I.
1: <laughs> but
2: I can be kinder than you.
1: Fiercely, she snatches the rosebuds from the vase, grasps them roughly, tears each head from the stem, and grinds it under her feet. The vase goes over with a crash. The water drips unheeded over the tablecloth and floor.
2: If I kill you, mighty God, I kill at once. I do not torture.
1: Rachel falls face downward on the floor. The laughter of the children shrills loudly through the window. End of Act Two
0: The Rachel Project is brought to you by Rough Magic Performance Company, a professional theatre company dedicated to supporting women artists and telling women's stories. The Rachel Project, Direction and Adaptation by George Keller, Sound Design and Engineering by Taj Ruler, Stage Management by Salim Asil. The cast of The Rachel Project includes Darius Dotch, Thomasina Petrus, Mikel Sapp, Essence Diggers and Maya Washington. The piano music in this podcast was written by J.L. Gaynor, a female composer, in 1898, and was performed by Erin Gabriel. If you enjoyed The Rachel Project, please consider making a donation to Rough Magic in support of our mission of bringing women's stories center stage. Tax-deductible contributions can be made at www.roughmagicperformance.org. Also, please consider writing a review or giving us a five-star rating to help us spread the word about the Rough Magic Podcast.